Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay, we learned that last time. Turn the mic up for me. I need this out here. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman. Hey, am I Pavarotti? Okay, okay. Hold on. Wait. Wait a minute. Come on, you guys. I taught this to you last time, right? Did I? It's, it's, it comes from 2 Timothy 3.15, so here we go. Let's sing this out. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's, it's a way to memorize Scripture. Don't you love that? I mean, all the songs we did today were Scripture. Uh, it's a way to memorize Scripture. But that's one of the things that we do is study to show ourselves approved unto God and a workman. That, that, that means to do some work. Uh, in the Word. And so I'm glad we're here this morning. Why don't you grab your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Each one of these Ironworks series uh, is just saying, Lord, how can we as brothers at Athey Creek step it up? How can we be uh, more usable and more um, effective at what we're doing? And um, what what are the priorities and what things are important for us to really uh, grab onto and and uh, of all the things that we could talk about, we've already talked a little bit about, you know, that, what, you know, studying to show yourselves approved to God. We talked about that last time. Uh, it's getting in the Word and reading the Word and studying the Word. And I challenge you guys to get in the Word. And I hope you guys have uh, seen how that works out. It's, it's great. I've heard several of you guys tell me how the Lord has just used that in your lives, how you're reading the Word more now and uh, daily getting in the Scriptures and how those Scriptures come up. Uh, during the day uh, when you're talking with people or uh, with your family. And so it's, it's neat to see us stepping up and moving out. I hope that we don't just um, kind of come and, and do the whole uh, typical, uh, you know, human nature church thing where you go to church, oh, another nice sermon or another good challenge, but never really changing our lives, never really making any differences. It's, um, the Bible talks about that dude. He's the guy, do you remember, he goes and looks at his face in the mirror and sees there's something wrong. And then what does he do? He walks away and forgets that he didn't fix the problem. He's got a little mustard on his mustache. <laughs> and, he, and he looks in the mirror, ooh, that's bad, then walks away and says, okay, here we go. And he's got mustard on his mustache all day long. That, that's what the Bible compares the guy who uh, hears the word but doesn't really go away and do anything about it. Um, now this topic today, I told, I told you uh, last Sunday, we're going to talk about love your wives and it interests me because I wonder how many of you guys were here because you're like, man, what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah, what am I going to say? Yeah, you know, I really don't need to go to that, honey. I think I'm going to stay home this morning. <laughs> I wonder how many of you guys were, were like, there's no way I'm missing that one. Uh, I'm going to come. There might even be guys out at McDonald's this morning just acting like they went uh, so their wives. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it'd be interesting to know there's some of those guys. Uh, but uh, but it's, it's a topic. You're like, oh, boy, love your wives. And... Um, and uh, and it's a topic that, however, is hugely important. Uh, now, if you're an old married guy, you know that already to be true, that loving your wife is giant and important. And if you're a young single guy, man, I want to give you a, a word, to, because before you get married, uh, think about the stuff we're going to talk, talk about today and make sure that when you're ready to pull the trigger on marriage, that this is a woman that you can say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love this woman uh, in the way the Bible tells me to love her for the rest of my life. And there's not, not any looking back. There's no uh, ifs, ands, or buts. There's no second guessing or any of that stuff. And that's why, you know, you got to take marriage seriously. 
And the Bible puts on uh, uh, the, the tag there that men uh, need to love their wives, and it puts it in the strongest of terms. Um, the, the funny thing is, of all the things we read about in the Bible, this is the one I can guarantee you you're not doing good enough on this. I can guarantee every single one. There's not one brother in here who can say, check. I got it down, man. I, I, I love my wife. As Christ loved the church, so do I love my wife. See, that's the problem, isn't it? Let's take a look. It's, it's, it's right here, Ephesians chapter 5. Um, and it says uh, in Ephesians 5.25, classic scripture right here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord the uh, the church. Um, So what's this all about? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then it kind of goes on this thing about washing in the water of the Word, how Jesus does His church. And that's a common theme that we talk about here at Athey. One of the reasons we love to go through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, is there's a cleansing effect that takes place when a man or a woman or a congregation goes into Scripture. There's a washing. Jesus said, now you are clean by the Word that I have spoken unto you there in John 15. And in Proverbs, uh, pardon me, Psalm 119, uh, it says, how shall a young man cleanse his way? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Um, there's a, a very close uh, relationship to the washing and reading the scriptures. And so um, it says here, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it and, and present it to uh, himself as a glorious uh, church without spot or blemish, washing in the water of the word. This is a, a really kind of an interesting thing that's really tacked on there in marriage, the marriage discussion. Now, I might tell you, uh, just by the way, uh, when you read about marriage in the Bible, very little is told to the wife what she's supposed to do when you look at the Scripture from cover to cover. You know, I I would say probably the biggest marriage chapter in the Bible is Ephesians 5. You you might make that argument. And of Ephesians 5— it, it does say the one that men like to quote stupidly to their wives, wives submit unto your own husbands. Uh, and I hope you're never quoting that to your wife. If you're doing that, you're doing something hugely wrong. Submit to me, woman. If you do that, uh, you deserve whatever you get thereafter. <laughs> uh, and what does it say right before submit, wives submit to your husbands? It says right before that, the verse right before, verse 21 of this chapter says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Then it says, wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands. I hope you guys understand that submission of our wives, first of all, what a tough deal. Uh, all of us know that submission in general is hard. You, you've worked for people. You're like, man, I got to submit to my boss. Uh, submission is not easy. But submitting to someone in a lifelong commitment of marriage, that's a tall order. And so our wives, reading that verse, man, I, I think that's a, that's a tough one. 
But I hope you guys realize that first it says submitting yourselves one to another. That is, I submit to my wife, she submits to me in everything that we do. It's a mutual uh, relationship. We make decisions together. We pray about stuff together. Um, I wouldn't just go buy a car or a truck and uh, come home and say, hey, I got a new truck. Uh, uh, that'd be death. Uh, you, you might have to have a pastor fill in next Sunday if I did that. Uh, and you could visit me in the hospital uh, if I just showed up with a new truck without really kind of working it through. Uh, uh, I've got stories about that, but I won't go into uh, about uh, my dad because my dad was into hot rods. And I remember uh, a few times where he showed up at home with a new vehicle without really consulting with my mom. And um, I learned a lot about marriage uh, from watching my parents in those scenes and, and learned a lot from my dad. Um, but uh, but uh, uh, the thing is, um, submitting yourselves one to another, we do that. Now, now, I have this beautiful wife who's smart and beautiful and uh, spunky. She's a spark plug. I love Debbie, you know, for that. And the thing is, we submit ourselves one to another. And what's really amazing is when we get to a place in our life where um, we have prayed about something and we've kicked it around and talked about it and, and we're still sort of at an impasse where we, have, we, we really can't come to an agreement. And I don't take this lightly. I don't just blow this off when, I, when we make decisions. But if we get to that place of impasse, then my wife will even say something like this, uh, Brett, I, I understand that we're have kind of different views on this. I'm going to just submit myself to you and your leadership as my husband. That's how it looks. Now, um, I'll tell you, there's, there's, I know there's small things that she submits to me daily, and, it's, and she's just really a, a blessing of a wife for doing that, just on small daily things. I know that. But oftentimes, it's those big decisions. Um, I like to re- remember just that time where we were praying about moving to Portland and starting a church. Debbie, honestly, was not too fond of the idea. Uh, moving up to Portlandia, where it rains all the time, and, uh, and we had a perfectly good job. Nobody was asking me to leave down there. I had a good job, and we had lots of friends, and just kind of grew up in Southern Oregon. She was born and raised down there, you know, and I was saying, we want to pull up stakes and move to Portlandia, uh, and uh, it just seemed for her really kind of out there. And we prayed about it, kicked it around, searched the scriptures, uh, looked for verses to confirm what the Lord wanted us to do. Long story short, that after about six months, Debbie finally said that. She said, she said Brett, I'm just going to submit. I know the Lord's stirring your heart, and if that's what the Lord wants you to do, I'm going to go with you wherever you want to go, and, and I'm behind you. Now, I knew that took a lot for her to say that. And so I went, <laughs> finally, I get my way. No, I didn't say that. Um, um, by the way, uh, you husbands that have beautiful, smart, submitted wives, you know that that's not like, ha ha, I finally get my way, is it? It's more like, oh no, uh, the buck stops here, and if, if I mess this up, she'll just say, mm-hmm. And that's all you need right there. You're, you're the guilty one. You're the dumb one. Uh, you know, I love, I love that, that it's, it's, a, it's a healthy pressure for me to make sure I'm doing what God wants us to do. Now, now the beautiful thing about that is um, when we moved to Portland, um, I, I settled in right away. I loved it up here and loved the people, loved, loved the whole thing. Uh, even shockingly, I loved the weather. And I was Mr. Sun. I love sunshine. Southern Oregon's way more sunny than it is up here in Northern Oregon. And uh, it was a big shift, but I was finding myself just kind of enjoying rain and stuff. And I think that was the Lord. 
because um, uh, that just wouldn't make sense to me, you know, 20 years ago. But, but all that to say, Debbie, she, uh, it took her a little, little while to warm up to Portland, but she just, after about a year, just fell in love with uh, Portland, the people, just being up here. And the Lord just blessed her specifically. And I love that because I knew that was one of those things that she had to kind of submit on. So, you know, submission is, is like that. That's part of this chapter. But really, that's all the wife gets. That's all that she gets out of this whole marriage chapter. Wives, submit to your husband. Okay, at the very end of the chapter, it says, wives, see that you reverence your husband. But that idea of reverence is respect, uh, and it's linked to that uh, submission. So really, that's, uh, to, to submit and respect your husband, that's what the wife has. But you and I, as guys, we got all the rest of the verses here at the end of this chapter. And it goes on and on about you loving your wife as Christ loved the church and even as you love your own body and cherish it and nourish it, which we do. No man ever hated his own flesh, it says here. Uh, it's, it's a sobering reminder that um, we need to, to step up and do something that is over-the-top challenging. For you as, a, as a, a man who's carnal and sinful and flawed, and me as well, for us to love our beautiful wives as Christ loved the church, that's a tall order. Because how does Jesus love his bride, the church? Man, when you look at the way he loves you and me, it's, it's over the top, unconditional. Whether we're good or bad, deserving or undeserving, worthy or unworthy, the Lord's love is unwavering, perfectly steady. In fact, it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ demonstrated his love and died on the cross for our sins. The Romans teaches us that, that he loved us that much. Even though you were a sinner, a wretched, miserable sinner, Jesus still loved you that much that he sacrificed it all and died on the cross. Unconditional love. Now, I hope that guys, we see that that's the first thing as, as, as husbands who are loving their wives as Christ loved the church. You need to love your wife with that kind of love, unconditional love. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, and then secondly, we see Jesus loved us, his bride, sacrificially, um, where he died on the cross in our place for our sins. Um, and uh, most guys uh, will sacrifice themselves. I, I trust that most of you guys in this room would take a bullet for your wife or jump in front of the train uh, and rescue your wife, even at your own peril. Uh, I, I believe most of you guys would do that. But the question maybe would be better, would you be willing to die to yourself for your wife, sacrificially? Dying to yourself. Uh, there's a difference between dying with a bullet and dying to yourself. Giving up your thing, get it, giving up your agenda, giving up that game that you wanted to watch so you can watch Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> That's taking a bullet right there, you know, <laughs> spiritually. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, uh, in marriage, that's what we're called to do as brothers. We are to uh, die to ourselves, even as Christ died on the cross for our sins. And man, I, you know, I, the, I need to die. The only problem with a living sacrifice that Romans talks about is it tends to squirm off the altar. And that's what you and I are called to be, is a living sacrifice. That's our acceptable, reasonable service to the Lord. And, and just to die to ourselves, sacrifice ourselves for our wives and for our families, frankly. Um, that's the love that Christ had, where he gave his whole thing, his whole life for us. 
So this idea of, of um, husbands loving your wives, that's a big challenge. That's a tall order. And, and um, frankly, after all these years, you know, uh, I've been doing marriages and marriage counseling since I was 19. I got licensed and ordained, and I've done over a thousand weddings, and most of those I did the premarital counseling for. And I'm, I, I've learned a lot in those last uh, 30 years of doing that. And, uh, and frankly, it really is quite simple. You know, when I meet with couples, it's amazing how complex they can make their troubles. You know, they can sit across from one another and argue about this and that, and you spent that money, and you said that, but you, you do this. Like, I've heard it all. I've heard it all. Uh, you sit in the bathroom for a half hour reading Vietnam books, uh, and what are you doing in there? Uh, well, yeah, but you go shopping and you spend all the money. And, and uh, well, yeah, but you, you go out, you know, and, you know, these just bickering, goofy things that on almost every level, almost every couple that I've ever sat down with, if the man, starting with the man, would just say, okay, I'm going to drop everything right now and love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that'd be the end of our counseling you guys are officially done. You've graduated. If the husband, oh, but Brett, what about her? No, wait, you haven't died yet. Sacrifice. Die to yourself. But, 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 no, die. Come on. You're still kicking. Whew. Man, did you hear about that poor police officer in Philadelphia who shot, what, 13 times? Was that yesterday or the day before? Uh, and uh, um, the, the guy, you know, Wallahu Akbar and boom, 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 and did it in the name of Islam, big shock. Um, and, uh, uh, but this police officer lived. Uh, he's in stable condition after 13 nine-millimeter rounds uh, went into his body. That's amazing. In fact, after he got shot, he went and ran after the guy and took him down and then called for backup and then passed out. Uh, that, that, that guy, I'd like to meet that dude, man. But um, uh, why was I? Oh, I was talking about, uh, are, you really, are you really dying to yourself? Uh, or are you still kicking? Uh, you know, and, and in marriage, brothers, you and I, we need to die to ourselves. I know that sounds grave, and it sounds depressing. What about my rights? Is that what Jesus asked? What about me? What about my feelings? Um, those nails are going to hurt. Now, Jesus did wrestle because he was tempted at all points as we are, yet without sin. But remember in the garden, we said, oh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I know some of you brothers have prayed that prayer about your marriage. I know it for a fact because marriage is not always easy. Uh, and the Lord never promised it. In fact, the promise of God's word is quite the contrary. Paul the Apostle said, those of you that are married will have what? trouble. Name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it, man. There's a promise from God's Word for you. Uh, that, but, but brethren, why should we get married? Well, you know, while there's trouble in marriage, there's also massive blessing. You know, and, and isn't it true, guys, that anything that's worthwhile is often painful and hard and difficult? You know, if you want to start a, a career or business, you're going to have hard times. It's going to be challenging, and there's going to be times you're thinking, what in the world have I got myself into? But there's a real reward for just hard work. And, you, you know, athletes know that when you work hard at, at your game or your sport, man, you see the payoff later. Um, and and uh, it's just kind of the way it goes. 
And so while Paul does say those of you that are married are going to have trouble, um, the Bible also declares he who finds a wife finds a good thing. (laughs) Uh, The scriptures declare that. So it's true. The Lord is behind marriage. And it's, it's going to be challenging, but it, it's really simply this, the, the answer, the solution, the, the secret. In fact, Paul even says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he says, and this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Jesus Christ and the church. That's, that's it, guys. He, Paul gives us the mystery of marriage. The word mystery, I like to share in the weddings that I do, is the word musterion in the Greek, which, which is not just unsolved mysteries. Uh, it's the word mystery, musterion in the Greek, implies something that's about to be unveiled. Even as a bride is unveiled and you see her, uh, Jacob should have taken a better look before he got married because he ended up with the wrong girl. Uh, that's a whole other story. Uh, the veil... It's, girls, girls don't use veils as much in weddings anymore. I missed the veil. In fact, I had a veil catch on fire at one of the weddings I did. Um, it was kind of a funny thing. They were lighting the unique candle, and she looked down, and all of a sudden, it's like that stuff goes off like, you know, cellophane. That tool, you know, that's hanging over the girl's face was like, and the husband was like, patting her face like this, trying to get the fire out. And, and I was like, ah, and it was smoking and, you know, flames. And, and then all of a sudden he got the fire out. And then she turned kind of with this bewildered look and looked at me. And she's got this hole burnt in her veil, like right here. And it's one way to be unveiled. Uh, it was quite dramatic. And when it came time to kiss the bride, he just kissed her through the hole. Uh, it worked out nice. Um, and she only had lost eyebrows. It was all okay. I was worried, you know, hairspray. And it's like, you know, it's like, uh, but, uh, but uh, the veil, that's the idea mystery is, it's about to be unveiled. So Paul says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But when he says the word mystery, people go, oh, he's going to give us the answer. Here it comes. Wait for it. That's the idea. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Jesus Christ and the church. He, he does the full circle because he at first said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And the mystery to marriage is Jesus and the church, his relationship with the church. So brothers, marriage counseling, if you're giving counsel or looking for marriage counsel, man, the, the, the best thing you can talk to yourself about or share with brothers who are struggling in their marriages is the one-step marriage program. One step, not 12 steps to better communication in your marriage. Although communication is really important. If you do the one step program where you say, I'm just going to die to myself and be like Jesus and try to love my wife as Christ loved the church and to constantly ask yourself, am I loving my bride as Jesus has loved me? Unconditionally, sacrificially, it's just really that simple. You know, uh, for some of you guys, marriage is not what you thought it was going to be. A lot of you guys, I would venture to say, marriage is not what you thought it was going to be. That's the the thing. But I got to say, your wives probably feel the same way, don't you think? (laughs) I heard a a woman once say, uh, marriage begins when you sink into his arms and it ends with your arms into the sink. (laughs) Uh, and that's a sad commentary on the way people feel about marriage. Now, if you're going to build a house, uh, you, go, you want to go to the, a skilled carpenter uh, and you ask him to build a house, a guy who knows to, how to build a house. But his talent would be worthless. Even if he was a builder, 
his talent would be worthless unless he knows what a house is. You could say, build a house. He's like, what's a house? I know how to build a stool. Uh, but what, what, what's a house? Uh, see, that becomes difficult. Um, and so it is with, with marriage. You know, uh, it's not easy to build a happy marriage if you have no idea what marriage is. See, and that's the problem today. Uh, our culture doesn't know what marriage is. We've been duped. Uh, what is marriage? Well, if you ask the guy in the street, it's like, well, when you really think someone's really, really hot uh, and you uh, live together for a while and try her on for size, make sure the plumbing all works and everything, then uh, you, you, you choose to, to finally tie the knot, ball and chain, and get married. And a lot of people kind of, whether they want to express it that way, that's the way they view it. But that's asking a carpenter to build a house who doesn't know what a house is. That's asking somebody to, to get married, and they don't even know what marriage is all about. You know, and the thing is, marriage uh, is, is something that is a godly institution. You know, here's our Supreme Court ruling what marriage is, and they missed the mark by a mile. By a mile. They don't know what marriage is. Um, so what is marriage? Well, Jesus uh, told us what marriage was. Why don't you go with me to Mark chapter 10? Mark chapter 10, verse 6. In Mark's gospel, chapter 10, verse 6, it says, uh, Jesus says, uh, after they were trying to tempt him with the question about divorce and all that, in Mark 10, 6, Jesus said, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. By the way, have you ever noticed that uh, one of the popular things to talk about is how Jesus never talked about uh, homosexuality, um, which is true, uh, because it was so commonly known in those days that that was contrary to God's word that he didn't need to talk about it directly. Uh, it's only in the last, you know, uh, 20, 30, 40 years that we as a world have embraced homosexuality. That's a whole new, it's a whole new thing. Yeah, so these people say Jesus never talked about homosexuality because he didn't have to. Everybody who was anybody knew that it was sinful and wrong. Even the most uh, crazy cultures kind of knew that it was part of their downfall and what have you. But, but uh, homosexuality existed, but it was not worldwide embraced until the last several years really even. Um, so Jesus didn't even have to deal with it. What did he say? He's talking about marriage here. So he says in verse 5, uh, for the hardness of his hearts, uh, you, he wrote this precept, but from the beginning of the creation of God, he made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they too, or twain, shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh." What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. This is interesting because here we get a hint of what marriage is. It's a supernatural joining by God of a man and a woman. God does this supernatural work. Now, it's kind of a cool thing because um, I think there's certain people you can kind of see that supernatural work happen. Have you ever seen couples that get married and, and after a few years, they just really talk alike, they act alike, they move alike, and you can almost look at them more as a brother and sister, like they even start looking like they're from the same. It's, it's a funny thing how a marriage, you, you do see this supernatural joining for the same reason. When somebody wants to get a divorce, that's why it's so painful 
because it's ripping apart what God supernaturally put together, and it was never meant to come apart. Um, so, so Jesus sort of defines marriage by saying it's a man and a woman, but it's something that God joined together and don't let anybody split it up. Um, now, another thing that marriage is, it's a type or a picture of Jesus' love for us. So we're called the bride of Christ in the New Testament. And so really, marriage is a picture of how much the Lord loves us, or at least it should be. Um, but marriage is also biblically for procreation. So we have families and kids, and, uh, and that's part of marriage as well. Uh, that, that's something also that the world doesn't really recognize that's great about a man and a woman, that you actually can have kids. I know there's groups that are trying to act like that's not true, but you still need a man and a woman to have children. Um, yeah, but Brett, that man and Ben had a baby now. Uh, that wasn't really a man. Uh, just had, heads up. Uh, remember that a few years back? It was all, they're acting like a man had a baby. Uh, no, uh, let's be real. Uh, but all, all that to say, uh, no, man and a woman, it's required by God. So it's for procreation, but it's also for companionship. You know, uh, remember in the Garden of Eden, Jesus referred to the very beginning, didn't he? He said, at the beginning, there was male and female. If you recall the creation story, one of the reasons marriage existed is it's not good for man to dwell alone. Who said that? God said that. Uh, of all the things he had made, the hippopotamus, the rhinoceros, the giraffe, it is all good. The sky, it's good. The trees, it's good. It's good, it's good, it's good, God said. But then he came to Adam and he said, it is not good. Man is not good to dwell alone. So he caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep, fashioned woman of Ribba out of his side. And uh, when he came to, man, he was all pumped. Do you get the sense that Adam was just a little excited? bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Whoa, man. And that's where she got her name uh, right there in the garden. Uh, whoa, man. Uh, but um, uh, all that to say, um, th- that's part of what marriage is as well. Companionship. Uh, to have someone that you're with and that you can enjoy to, to spend time with, uh, a best friend. Um, now, the key about all this, which is funny, all those things that we just talked about that marriage is about biblically, companionship, friendship. It's good for man not to be alone, for procreation, a representation of Jesus and his church and God joining together. All of those things, in order for those things to work and to be effective, you've got to have a love relationship. If husbands, you do not love your wives, all of those break down. The whole purpose of marriage breaks down. Companionship, out the window. If you don't love your wife as Christ loved the church, the companionship goes out the window. If you don't love your wife, then the sex part of marriage goes out the window. Um, it, it, in fact, it's tragic to me how many couples don't have intimacy in their marriage. Oh, nobody likes to talk about it, but from time to time it comes up in the privacy of a counseling session where people, uh, the things you hear will shock you. Couples that haven't had intimacy, relationship, romance for seven, eight, nine, ten years. I, I bump into that. Um, and, and you say, what's going, what's going on? And they, they come up with all these excuses and reasons why they're not intimate, why there's no romance in their marriage, but it's just a bunch of hogwash. The fact is, it really oftentimes gets down to the root of the issue that the husband somewhere 
decided not to make that effort to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. It's funny how the man, if you really follow through the scriptures, and I'm sorry if you don't like this, brothers. I know some of you guys aren't going to like this, but it's kind of always blamed on the man. If there's fault in the marriage, you don't really hear the Lord say, yeah, that wife better get her game on. But actually, uh, it sort of points back to the man. Look, let's go to 1 Corinthians real quick. Now, I've got to say, the problem with this topic is I speak from great experience, not just with counseling, but in my own failures and stupid things. I've been married for almost 30 years, and, um, and I've made some mistakes and, and goofs. I'm not perfect in any of this stuff, but, um, but man, I, it's amazing how you can just sort of recognize stuff fairly easy after 30 years of marriage in my own fault, flaws and failures, but also in, in my brothers. I can see it. Oh, yeah, I've been there. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're doing. Uh, it's not easy to fool me, I think, because of that in a lot of ways. Um, but there's an interesting thing about this marriage thing, and, and you might miss it in the original, un, un, unless you kind of look out the original language of the Greek New Testament, but it's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And in this chapter, there's a lot about marriage and the male role in the church and the female role in the church. But there's kind of an interesting thing said here about the man and the woman. Um, talking about head coverings and stuff. We, we don't have time to get into all that. That's a whole other topic. But um, it, it says in verse 7, 1 Corinthians eleven seven. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head. Now, if you're wearing a baseball cap, don't take it off. You're all right. You're cool. Uh, the idea is to put a head covering on for the purpose of humiliation and shame. That's the idea. A man, when he goes into the congregation, was not to wear a, a head covering as a woman would do in that culture in that time. Uh, that's a whole other topic. But it says, um, for he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Not a popular topic in today's modern, uh, uh, you know, day. Um, but then it goes on, it says, for this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. So this is kind of talking about the, the head covering, what have you. But what's interesting about this, that you get something kind of out of this, not the main topic of, of 1 Corinthians 11, but it's interesting when it says that man was created in the image of God. We all know that. But oftentimes we mistake and say humanity, male and female, was created in the image of God. But Paul says not exactly. He said man was created in God's image. And then here it says, but um, the woman was sort of created in the image or the, uh, in verse 7, but the woman is the glory of the man. Now what's interesting about that is the word glory there is the same kind of word that relates to the Old Testament glory, like kabod, the weighty presence of God. If you guys remember that from the Ark of the Covenant and what have you. But, but, the idea of the woman is the glory of the man. The word glory in the Greek New Testament translated as the shining out or the reflection of, which is kind of interesting. I think there's a truth here that is really helpful for you guys, and you'll start to recognize it if you really tune in to your wife. That is that your wife is the best barometer for you to see how in the world are you doing as a man. 
She's the shining out, the reflection of you in a lot of ways. The woman's the glory of the man. I think that in marriage, you'll see that as time goes by, when you're walking with the Lord and you're reading your word and you're praying and you're doing well and, and uh, you know, doing family devotions and all the things you're supposed to, man, your wife will be doing so much better. I'm not saying she's going to be perfect uh, or everything's going to be rosy, but you will find that she will be much more at peace, so much better that if you're at peace, if you're angry and bitter and bossing everybody around the house and barking at your kids and stuff like that, then your wife's going to be doing that as well. The woman is the glory, the shining out, the reflection of the man. Um, and we're supposed to be the shining out and the reflection of God. So there's this, this pattern that Paul talks about here that I think is important for the brothers to acknowledge. So when there's trouble in your marriage, um, one of the things you should really pray about and think about is, what do I need to do to change? Now, here's a freebie for you. I'm not even going to charge you for this one. Um, But this is giant. You should pay me for this one. This is worth a lot right here. I'm giving you some gold right here. You guys ready? You will never change your wife. That's right, brothers. You, you get it? You got it. There's some experience here. You will never successfully change your wife. Um, and, and by the way, she will never successfully change you. You know, by, you know, it's funny how we think that we can yell at someone or bark out orders to someone and try to change them. Uh, but that just doesn't happen. In all my years of marriage counseling, um, you might get 10 seconds of change just because you freaked her out or did something really mean or whatever, but that's not a real change, and, it, and, it, and it's only going to come back and get you later because you did it all wrong. But, but here's the thing. You can change yourself, and you can change your heart. You can change your mind. You can change the direction of your family. You guys have the power to go home from this meeting today and just change the whole enchilada if you want to. It's going to be work, uh, but you can do that. You can change yourself. God gave you a free will just to work on, on stuff about you. But I'm just going to tell you guys, this will save you all kinds of trouble and pain and suffering if you just forget about trying to change her. That just doesn't happen. Um, and, 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 and you know what's interesting is the longer I've been married, married, the more I realize that's exactly what didn't need to happen. Debbie was not the one that needed changing. I'm the one who, who needed to change. It was all me. Uh, and even times when I thought, man, she's doing that all wrong, it, it was me. Uh, and, and, and the more squared away I become as a man of God and, and following the Lord and following his word, it's amazing how my wife just thrives and, and her talents and giftings start to flourish and, and she's just totally spot on. Now, I'm, I'm able to say all this because the ladies aren't with us today. Praise the Lord. This is great. I can tell you guys, because if we talk about this, the ladies, the ladies will be elbowing you right now saying, see, honey, it's all your fault. Um, but um, and you'd say, you got to stop that. Nope. Stop trying to change her. Just be the man God wants you to be and, and let the Lord grow in, in your wife those characteristics and those, those talents and giftings and attitudes that God wants in her. Let, let the Lord do that. You older guys that have been married a long time, am I right about this? Yes, it is. <laughs> Got some guys like, yeah, it's true, man, it's true. Now, so what, what do you do? Well, remember, the assignment is quite simple. 
love your wives as Christ loved the church. If you're taking down notes, I want to give you a few thoughts about love that I want you to just remember that this is a really important part of marriage and what you're doing. Uh, uh, first of all, number one, love is a commitment, a commitment. When you got married, um, man, you made a commitment. Uh, one of the biggest mistakes young people make when it comes to love is they think it's, it's um, based on a feeling only. And, and oftentimes it has to do with lust. Um, and that doesn't, that doesn't really fly um, because uh, it's real easy to sort of lust after someone for quite a long time when you're dating and all that stuff. The dating life is not real. Elbows deep in diapers and dishes and job challenges and bills, that's real. And it's funny how we think that marriage is going to be this just hot extravaganza of romance and, and just love, as we call it. But, and by the way, marriage can be a lot of that, uh, and it is, and it should be. But, but love is a commitment. When you choose to be married to a woman, you are saying, I am committing to love her through thick and thin, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. I remember, like, on our honeymoon, uh, Deb and I were having a blast. I was totally broke as a young youth pastor, so we, we did a real, uh, got my Volkswagen Rabbit diesel that I had back then, uh, the Love Mobile, and took it on our honeymoon. Uh, the day of our wedding, by the way, is like early in the morning, I got in my Volkswagen Rabbit, and the, the driver's side window just fell into the door and shattered. I was like, oh no, I'm taking this on. So my whole wedding day, I was like in junkyards looking for a window from a 1981 Volkswagen Rabbit diesel. Finally found one, installed the window, and then ran to my wedding and got married. But, uh, but we were driving on, on, on the honeymoon. Uh, we went up to the San Juan Islands and, and did some camping because uh, I could afford a hotel every night of our, of our honeymoon. Um, but uh, but we, we stayed at a couple of hotels. It was kind of nice and fancy and everything. And, and, and then I was going to kind of blow our socks off with the last three days. We you know, kind of drove around the, the San Juan Islands. Then we kind of moseyed back down into Oregon and went to the Black Butte Ranch. They're uh, outside of Sisters. And uh, it was nice, nice. I thought this is going to be the best part, you know, just chilling at Black Butte. But she got the flu. Uh, there at Black Butte. And I remember just, uh, you know, hold, I remember holding her hair while she was harfing in the toilet. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is marriage. Okay. It's like sickness in and health. <laughs> okay. Um, wasn't quite the romance that I was picturing at Black Butte, but um, definitely learned how to love my wife in sickness and in health uh, the very first few days of our marriage. Um, and, and, and you know what's funny is, is that's real. That's real life. So love is, in fact, a commitment. And that's why I hope that you guys make sure and just from the very beginning, wedlock is a padlock. Uh, there's no out. There's no escape. And, and there shouldn't even be a thought of escape. Can I challenge you, brothers, to, to make the, the word divorce? That's the D word. You don't say that word. You never even entertain that word in your mind. Um, you don't play around with it. I, I hate it how couples today will just kind of uh, say, oh, we should get a divorce. Or, you know, I, I could divorce you and be so much happier. And, and people start thinking that, those thoughts. And that's the road that leads to divorce. And you convince yourself it would be better when really it is not. And uh, you, Brett, you, why do you say you hate that? Because God hates it. God hates divorce. Um, so, you know, uh, commitment. 
Man, I love that, that love is a commitment because when you are committed to your wife in a loving way, you are committed to longevity with her. Um, you know, this idea of being committed changes everything if you really think about it. Like, for example, let's just say tomorrow morning before church, you're, you get into a big argument. Isn't it funny how Sunday morning arguments happen? Uh, it's like clockwork. And also on the way to church, that, the car trip on the way to church. It's like, that's where Satan just really wants to mess you guys up and get you all flustered. So that by the time you get to church, you're feeling really guilty and you're slouching in your chair thinking, I'm not going to raise my hands and worship. She knows that I just yelled at her in the car and she was yelling at me. I don't feel hypocrite. That's, that's what the enemy wants to do, by the way. But see, the thing is, if you are married to her and you know, man, I am going to be married to her for the next 60, 70, 80 years. I, I'm, I'm committed to this. And part of the mindset that you can have on this idea of love, even as Jesus has committed himself to us, um, that he actually uh, is willing to be patient with us. He, he, he just waits and lets us get our thing together and he still loves us through it. And, and if, if a man could be committed to his wife knowing that, you know what, I'm going to be married to you tomorrow and the next day and the next day, when that argument comes, that commitment is part of the deal that gets you through the argument, where you're willing to die to yourself saying, man, do I want to waste all this time bickering about stupid stuff? Or am I so committed to this woman because I love her that I'm going to make it my goal to put this fire out? even if it means me dying to myself and giving up my argument and not standing my ground or defending what I said or, or any of that stuff. When, when you are in a marriage where the love is a commitment, wedlock is a padlock, um, then you would be, uh, you know, your argument has less of an impact. One of the things that I think Deb and my strengths, uh, one of our, our greatest strengths, I think, in marriage is that we, uh, we don't like to keep a, a list of things. We like to keep a short order, and when there's a problem, we both very much are committed to saying, let's get, let's get through this so that the rest of the afternoon or the day or whatever, we can be jolly and happy and move along. I can't believe how long some marriages let stuff go just day after day. Where I, 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 meet, I met with a couple just even this week who um, they go, they'd go for days angry at each other, and they wouldn't say one word to another person. Just, just they'd live in the same house. If you're doing that, man, you got to repent. You got to repent. That's, that's, Jesus didn't do that to you. When you sinned, he didn't turn his back on you. say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just totally turn off the spigot for you. But while we were yet sinners, Jesus still died on the cross for us. Man, I hope that, you know, when the, uh, you know, because I said wedlock is a padlock, I hope you, you know that when the doors on marriage are shut and bolted and a fire breaks out, uh, that all your time and energy will go into putting out the flames rather than running for the door. Um, when you're committed, too many, too many men run for the door and think that they can bail out and be better off without her or whatever. Not so. Commitment, uh, what a key. Um, William, William Coleman said, commitment is not a cage, it's a safety net. And I think that's the truth. When you're committed to your wife, it's a safety net. It keeps you in the right place. Um, you're not just going to bail out, uh, even when times get tough. That, that's an important thing. So in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, by the way, that's where the Lord says, I, the Lord, hate divorce. 
So it should be the D word, you're committed, uh, it's locked in, and, and because of that, you're going to give all your energy and efforts to loving your wife, not letting an argument go for a long time. Uh, how important that is. Number two, not only that love is a commitment, but even more sternly, love is a commandment. It's a commandment. Uh, don't forget that God told you, brothers that are married, uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. This isn't a suggestion. This is a command from God in the New Testament, for crying out loud. This is the Lord giving us a command as brothers saying, you, you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church. This is perhaps one of the biggest charges in all the Bible, if you ask me. We're given a lot of charges in the Bible, but man, this one hits close to home for you guys that are married. Uh, this is what the Lord commands you to do. This is not him just saying, I really hope you can kind of try to pull this off. Uh, like Yoda said, don't what? Try to, uh, or whatever. That's what you got to do in marriage. Don't try to be committed. Don't try to love your wife. This is something the Lord says, do it. Um, now, this is funny because um, question, theological question for all you guys. How many times in the Bible do we read the Bible saying, wives, love your husbands? Zip. The Bible doesn't say that as far as I can tell. Now, there is a sort of mention in Titus chapter 2 where God teaches that the older women should teach the younger women to be lovers of their husbands and keepers of the home. Uh, but that's a pretty indirect uh, sort of, it's, that's, not a, that's not a command like you and I have been given. It's funny, why does the Lord not command the woman to love her husband? I'll tell you what I believe the answer is. I think they just naturally do. Have you ever noticed, now this is really awkward here for a minute, but I'll explain my whole thing. Have you ever noticed how much your wife loves you? And do you ever, in a time of honesty and reality, you kind of scratch your head and think, why does she love me? <laughs> now, now I've got to be honest, having done over a thousand weddings, most of the time when I'm standing here, here like this, and the husband and the wife, and I'm saying, you know, all the nice things, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, how did you get her? Like, what did you do? Like, this doesn't make sense. You know, here she is, and here you are, and hmm. Seriously. Most of the time. Now, there's been a few times I'm like, uh, the other way around. But, but 98% of the time, I'm kind of like, man. So have you ever, in a time of honesty, why does my, my wife, and, and, and have you ever thought, why does my wife want to spend time with me? You know, she's always, oh, honey, can we spend time together? I just want to be with you. I want to hang out. And you're like, I don't even want to be with myself. Why do you want to be with me? Um, I'll tell you. Here's the answer. And I can say this because the ladies aren't here. They're cursed. They are. The women are cursed. They're cursed. And the curse is they love you. Brett, that's not very nice. No, it's the Bible. Do you remember there in the Garden of Eden, when the woman took the fruit from the tree and God started passing out the curses and what have you, man, our curse, what was our curse? We got to work by the sweat of our brow. Isn't it amazing, by the way, the women's lib movement that pretty much has turned our, our, our world upside down and now pretty much dual incomes and women are working just as much as men. The thing that's kind of sad to me about that is that's the curse for us. So the women are not only getting kind of a double curse, but I would even say they're getting kind of a triple curse. So our curse is we got to work and earn a living. That's the male curse. The, the woman's curse was pain in childbearing, 
That, that, that's a big one. Those of you that had children, you're like, I'm just glad I'm a guy. <laughs> Thank the Lord for that. Uh, but the, there was another little weird kind of curse in Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. Um, and, and it basically says this, and thy desire shall be to thy husband. It, it's something that most of us just glaze over when we read Genesis 3 and the curse is being handed down. You're like, oh yeah, pain and childbearing. <laughs> that's bad, yeah. But that's not the whole thing. I would argue that maybe even the greater curse, because the pain and childbearing happens for uh, the time during labor, and maybe for the next 18 years, but, um, <laughs> but, but, but it's a shorter term deal. But the woman is sort of cursed there with this strange desire after her husband. And what's really weird is, is we as husbands have the curse where we got to go work. So we're going off to work and she's saying, can you just hang out a little longer? You're like, no, man, I got to go pay the bills. And, and, and she's offended because you're not cursed like she is. Uh, most of you husbands are not saying, oh, I wish I could just spend a little more time with you. And can, can, you, can you not go to work any? I just want to spend time. I don't see a lot of guys doing that. Now, don't get me wrong, uh, it's not that we don't love our wives, but we're wired differently and our curse is different, that we got to go work. Now, I know it's all messed up because of the whole work thing and all that. I understand that, but I think it's amazing to me that that curse still applies. And, and those of you that are married, and especially if you've been married for a long time, it's one of those things you kind of go, I get it, that my wife actually likes me. And that she wants to be with me and spend time with me. And it's not because I'm really cool and suave and debonair and good looking and in great shape. If you think that, you're deluded. <laughs> She's going to still love you when you're older and ugly and fat. And it's, it's you know, like, why? Why? And, 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 and it's a curse for the woman in a way. But it's, it really, if you really think about it, it's actually God taking that and turning around to be a blessing for us. I can't believe my wife wants to spend time with me. And, and yet she does. And, and what's really funny is early in my marriage, I used to be kind of offended by like, oh, come on, lighten up, man. And I was so stupid when I, when I treated that with sort of a, um, you know, a shortness, like, oh, come on, knock it off. I was like, you, you, don't, you know, we spent time yesterday. Um, and when you start doing that, you're not realizing your wife has a need for companionship that's deeper than yours. You are called to love your wife. When Jesus gave you that commandment, it's because he loves your wife too. Christ loves your wife. Now, this is where, ooh, I don't even know I'm going to be satisfied in how, trying to communicate this. This is one of those things where I pray the Holy Spirit will give me the words to say here, because this is big. Um, what happens with men in, in, in today's culture I don't even need to go into pornography and the visual things that we see every day, all day, the temptations that we face. I don't even need to go into that. That's going to be a whole other session we're going to deal with here in a, in a few Ironworks sessions. But, but there's this thing that happens within men where you start looking at your wife uh, with sort of the wrong eyes. And it can be because she did something or said something that you didn't like. So you start to kind of build your case against her. Um, there's husbands that are case builders. Well, I can't believe she did that. I can't believe she said that. And oh man, I can't believe she woke up and she had bad breath. And I can't believe this. And, and you start building a case against your wife. And, and, and then with all the other, you know, ladies out there that are, you know, on Hollywood or whatever, there's this lure. And, and, and a man can very easily forget, forget this, 
that you married a, a, a very great woman who wants to be with you and spend time with you. And she has been given by God this desire after her own husband. And for you and me as men to treat that lightly or to forget that our number one calling as husbands is to love our wives as Christ loved the church, for us to forget the sweetness of who she is, the fact that she wants to be with you, man, I see so many guys just kind of blow that off and, and, and they sort of diminish and they say, I'm a, a, good, you know, a good man, you know, will be able to go off and do his own things. And, 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 now, now, don't get me wrong. I love seeing a man's man, a guy, a guy who's going out hunting and, and, you know, doing some good manly stuff. But one of the ugliest things you'll ever see is a man's man who blows off his wife. That becomes an ogre. You become an ogre. You're no longer cool in my book. When you're, when you're more into your, your hunting than you are into your wife, and, and when you're more into your hobbies and your friends and the golf course or the motocross track or, or the, you know, the, the, even your career. Uh, there's guys that will, will uh, you know, start to love their career more than they love their wife. And what happens, brothers, is your love begins to become divided. And it's not your wife's fault, even though you've built a case in your mind of why you don't love her anymore or you don't have that same passion when you were a teenager. And you can logically think through what the problem is, but that's not the problem. The problem is love is a commandment. Love is a commitment. And, and for you to, to, to let that happen in your heart, where your heart becomes divided. Now, let me explain something. Um, I remember years and years ago, John Corson and I, we uh, sat down when I was a young pastor, and we, we sat down and kind of worked through the vows, because we used to use the little minister manual, the little black book ministers used to give vows in the weddings. But we kind of realized they were sort of lame. The vows weren't extremely biblical, so, but, but we liked traditional vows. So we, we kind of worked through some vows, and it's the same vows that uh, I have couples exchanged. How many guys I performed your wedding? Any, anybody in here? Yeah, that's quite a few weddings in here. That's great. Um, so, so the vows that I had you ex- exchanged with your wife, they, they were from what John and I prayed through, looked in the scriptures and kind of said, well, what? And, and here's what we said for you as a guy. I promise to lead you in the ways of the Lord. Leadership in the ways of the Lord. That's loving, kind, compassionate leadership. And a man that leads in the ways of the Lord, that's a good man right there. And then the man says, I promise to love you and you alone with all my heart. That's exclusivity. That's saying, I'm not going to cheat on you. I'm not going to commit adultery. But there's something else we tacked in there. I'm going to love you and you alone with all of my heart. See, the problem with brothers, men, is our hearts become divided. Man, your heart gets split into your career, into your hobbies, into your buddies, your bros, uh, you know, whatever it is, it's so easily divided and, and your, your heart doesn't have enough to go around to where your wife gets sort of the leftovers, the leftovers. So when I have young guys exchange that vow, I explain them, here's what that means. You're saying you're not going to let your heart be divided away from your wife, lured by whatever, whatever, pornography, career, golf, motocross, uh, even ministry. Ministry can become a bad thing if, if that's what's pulling you from your wife. Now, let me explain to some. This is important for you guys because the wives, I have a whole different vow for them. It's, they, they sort of parallel. I promise to love you and or lead you in the ways of the Lord. And she'll say, I promise to submit to you in the ways of the Lord. You say, I promise to love you and you alone with all my heart. Listen to what she says. I promise to share my love with you 
wholeheartedly and exclusively. Does that sound like a girl thing? I don't, I don't make you say, I promise to share my love with you. I don't, I don't have you say that. Because the word share, it's just kind of, uh, some of us guys, not all of us, but some of us guys have a harder time saying the word share. But the word share is a good girl word. Now let me tell you why. Because see, the woman's heart is wired so different than yours. And let me explain what happens. I, I'm just, I'm just going to try to explain this. Your wife has this desire for you, like we explained and she just wants to spend time with you, and she just wants to be loved and nurtured and stuff that we don't do very naturally, but you've been commanded to do it. Love as Christ loved the church. Now listen, if you don't do that, what's amazing is your wife will go for years, years. I've seen this a million times. I've seen this. Your wife will go for years, and she doesn't want to be the whiny wife. She doesn't want to be the nag. Some of them do, but not all of them. Um, they don't want to be the naggy wife, so they, they just take the hit. You go off and do your thing, and you, 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 you know, spend your whole time out there doing, you know, and you don't measure out your time. You spend more time with your bros, you know, at Cabela's than you do with your wife, you know, just spending time with her, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a ratio thing. And so what happens is your wife just takes the hit. And year after year, and she's, she'll, she'd go to you and say, honey, you know, can, instead of you going out and doing this, what if we just had a little family time or you and me time? And you're like, mm, nah, and you take off. Let me explain what happens in the heart of a wife. Is her desire to love you and share her life with you and even have intimacy with you romantically? Her desire for that. Well, it's, it'll still be there, but here's what she's doing in her mind, in her heart. This is what happens. I'm explaining the woman's heart. This is something we, we don't understand as guys. She starts getting out the bricks and the mortar in her heart. And she takes out a brick, butters it up, sets it down in the corner of her heart. Just a brick, one brick. Because you said kind of a sharp word, or you blew her off, or, you know, come on, she just needs to toughen up. Come on, men will be men. We got our to- toys and our hobbies. And, and every time you say something mean or sharp or unloving to her, she tries to tough it out. She doesn't talk to you, but another brick goes up. If I had a dime for every time a couple came in at the 15-year mark, 15-year mark. I don't know what it is about the 15-year mark, but for me, I've seen a lot of couples where the guy and the girl come in for counseling and she is stone-faced. She's unemotional. She's saying, I am done. The guy is shocked. He's like, where did this come from? I thought we had a wonderful marriage. We had no problems until this week. Now she's just shut down. Now, let me explain something, guys. If you fall out of love, which is a stupid thing to say, but if you fall out of love with your wife, uh, the good news is with a man, the way our hearts are wired, we can go, oops, I made a big mistake, and we can turn our heart around and love her again. That's just the male heart. We're like, you know, the jet boats on the Willamette, Andy's jet boats, you know? Um, our, heart, our, our hearts, we spin around, man. We just, whew, 180 degrees. But the, the woman's heart's like, like the Queen Mary. It doesn't turn around on a dime. You know what I mean? She, once her heart has gone a direction, a woman's heart, it's like if you and I got in a fight today, right out in the parking lot, you know, hey, that was a dumb teaching. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and we're fighting it out. Listen, we, we could fight it out, and, and, then, and then, we, then we'd say, hey man, I'm sorry, we shouldn't have punched each other out. Sorry about that, okay, sorry. And we'd go get a burger at Five Guys, and you know what? We might even be better friends after that. That's the, the way men work. That's men. But a, a woman, have you ever noticed that when a woman argues with a woman, uh, they'll say they're sorry and it's all good, but it really isn't. (laughs) 
for the next 30 years. Those two ladies, there's that lady. See, and, and guys, our hearts, man, we can change our hearts. That's, that's a gift that we have. But because our hearts are like that, we're also insensitive bricks. That's the truth. So here's this woman that you're married to, and she's sensitive. And her heart, man, she's inclined to love you by supernatural power from God. That's why she likes, not because you're good looking and, and amazing or any of that. It's because God wires her to love you and want to spend time with you. You blow that off and you don't love your wife as Christ loved the church. She'll endure for time, for years. She'll take abuse, verbal abuse and stuff like that. She'll just take it like a champ, although she shouldn't. But she does. I've seen so many wives take so many hits emotionally and what have you, and, and, and she'll just take it until there's a certain threshold with that last brick, chink. She's been building that brick wall because you've been just mean and unloving year after year. Poof, that brick goes in, and she is done. You've seen it. You've seen marriages. You're like, man, I can't believe she just shut down. And, and the sad thing is, apart from a miracle of God, I've not seen those marriages recover from that point. I've seen a few times where just God did a radical miracle and broke down the wall in the woman's heart, and it was all, but, but that doesn't happen very often, truthfully. Um, and, and the guy's so shocked and wondering what happened. I'm trying to help you guys see the commandment of God is you and I need to care for our wives the way Jesus cared for us, loved us. He's compassionate. He, he, he's got a place in his heart. And, 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 and here's the thing. Listen, how does the Lord love you? His thoughts toward you are what? Huh? Precious thoughts. Another guy word that we don't use that often. Precious. But it's a word God uses for you. Now, now, now here's what I want you guys to do. Um, next time you're thinking, oh, that lady, that wife of mine. Next time you're bitter or in an argument, what I want you to do is, I know this sounds like uh, goofy, but I want you to change the lens that you're looking at your wife in and look through the lens of God. Because God, he loves your wife. He's compassionate toward your wife. And you were created in the image of God, and you were called to love your wife as God loves us, as Jesus Christ loves us, and his thoughts toward us are precious thoughts. So what you need to do, brothers, is you need to have precious thoughts toward your wives, just like God has precious thoughts toward us. It's a huge secret. Um, when you're in your car driving home, on your way home, I want you to think about what is it that you really do love about your wife? What are those attributes that are her talents and giftings? And, and really think through it. Have you you ever had your wife come up and say, what do you love about me? And you're like, uh, you vacuum? You're really good at dishes? If you don't have good answers, you have failed. You need to remember what what is the thing about your wife that God sees as precious, and you've got to be an expert in that. Even as God is an expert on us. You know, I look at all of us guys and think, what in the world does God care about us? Do you know that the psalmist asked the same question? He said, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? He's basically saying, why do you even care about us, humanity? And then God explains in his word, I have thoughts that are more than the sand on the seashore, thoughts toward you, and they're thoughts of peace and not of evil, thoughts of a future and a hope. I have thoughts toward you that are precious thoughts. That's what God says about his love for us. And that's what you brothers, when you walk in the door at the end of a day 
into the house, your heart needs to be ready to roll, to, to compliment, to love, to build up, to show your affection and kindness, and, and not just be a dude who does the dude thing. But you need to be a guy who becomes an expert in just that softness and compassion. Man, I wish I, wished I could let you guys see a glimpse of what I grew up with. Um, I know my dad wasn't perfect. I already told you he came home with trucks and stuff that he wasn't supposed to, and my mom packed her suitcases. And it was, it was, my dad made some mistakes, for sure, as we all did. But one of the greatest models that I had for, from my dad was this. My dad is as tough as nails. Uh, you know, as a 73-year-old guy, uh, I still wouldn't tangle with my dad. Six foot three, in good shape. He's, he's a strong guy. Um, I remember one time this guy tried to take him for a ride at this, uh, it was, he, my dad was remodeling our pastor's house. And because this glass company came and delivered these windows, one of the windows were delivered, it was broken right off the truck, the glass. And the guy said, yeah, tough, tough, tough deal. Sorry, you, uh, what are you going to do about that? And the guy, because it was a church and because it was a pastor's house, this guy was kind of copping an attitude. Now, most of us would just, you know, go and argue with the company. Um, what I remember my dad doing is with one hand taking the guy by the collar and slamming him against the wall and his feet were dangling like this. <laughs> and he said, you're going to take that window back and before today's over, you're going to bring me another window. Is that right? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Mr. Metter. It, it was like a cartoon. I felt like I was watching like, uh, you know, a cartoon. But man, the, you know, when my dad got his dander up there and that, like I never saw him yell at me or my mom, but I, I'd, I'd see you just didn't mess with my pops. But what happened was this guy in construction, superintendent of dams and bridges, I mean, he was just tough and he got the, got the work done, but he'd walk into the door of our house and he would treat my mother like a queen, a princess. And he would love her and, and even his voice would change, man. You know, on the construction job, when he got after you, you're like, don't mess with Todd. I remember all the guys that I'd be working with, my dad, they'd just hear his nail bags coming and they're all like, oh, <laughs> got really busy, you know. It's like people were afraid of him. Um, but he'd come home and he'd, his voice would go like an octave higher and he'd just talk sweet, not gruff, not growling, not barking, but just a sweet kindness the way he treated my mother. And uh, guys, we need to become like the Lord in that. He treats us with kindness, uh, compassion. He's got precious thoughts toward us. And guys, if you're thinking ill thoughts of your wife, if you're letting your mind run loose about why your wife is such a you know, a, a nag, or why your wife is not as pretty as she once was. Man, that's just the enemy. That's Satan taking you for a ride. And it's going to mess you up. And it's going to leave you in despair. Um, love is a com- commitment. Love is a commandment. I, I know it's late. One more, real, real quick. And love is crucial. That's the last one. Love is crucial. It's a no-brainer. Uh, Here's what you have to ask yourself. Are you more roommates with your wife right now? Or are you having a loving, godly, compassionate, romantic relationship? You just need to do an inventory and say, how am I doing? If you don't have that loving relationship with your wife right now, here's what you need to do is repent. Just say, I've sinned. I have not had precious thoughts. I've allowed ill thoughts to go toward my wife, and, and I've treated her badly, and I've been rough with her, and and, uh, and I need to just change. 
And, and, and you need to start saying, how can I be more like Jesus, the way Jesus loves me compassionately, kindly, um, forgiving? Jesus, when we make a mistake, he doesn't yell at us. He doesn't throw us in the garbage. He doesn't, uh, you know, uh, put us in the dog pound. He, he, just, he just loves us right through our sin. You know, also, um, uh, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He says, he says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you've been putting your treasure in golf, I like to use golf because I'm horrible at golf and I like making fun of that one. I won't say motocross uh, or guitar playing or uh, whatever thing. You know, whatever it is, if, you, if you've been investing in, in that so much, you will be in love with golf. I know golfers or motocrossers or guys with hobbies that they're more in love with their hobby than they are their wife. Why? It's where your treasure is. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, Jesus was talking about how your treasure should be in heaven and not on this earth and where moth and rusts and steel, you know, all that stuff. But, but the principle is true across the boards. Um, if, you're, if your treasure is your occupation, that's where your heart's going to be. And, and it's just a rule of life. But you've got to invest treasure into your wife. You just have to. If you're not showing her love and pouring love into her, you're, see your husbands, your wives have a love bucket. And you've got to keep that full. And if you're not keeping it full, she's going to be empty and she's going to feel empty and she's going to put bricks in her heart. And as years go by, it's going to become a wall. You got a daily more. I remember when I first got married, I had to learn the dumb lesson that a lot of us 21 year old dudes had to learn. I, when I married Debbie at the altar, I said, I love you and I'm committing my life to you. And I thought that's all I had to do. She knows I loved her because I got married to her. That's not how it works, guys. You need to tell her that you love her, not just daily. See, I thought, okay, once a month, maybe. Oh, I love you, honey. Nope. All day long, you need to express your love to your wife because she's got this love bucket and there's holes in it. And the love kind of leaks out. So you got to keep filling it up, man. You got to love her. You got to buy her flowers and you, you got to fill that up. And let me just tell you, it's not a got to, it becomes a get to. When you realize that your wife, her heart starts to fill up with love, you're the one who's going to be blessed, brothers. Your home's going to be blessed. Your kids are going to be blessed. You know, I guarantee if some of you are having trouble with your kids, I bet you most of you that are having trouble with your kids right now, the problem's not the kids. And the problem's not your discipline. The problem is your marriage. And it needs to be full of love. And as a man, you need to fill that love bucket. It's amazing what your wife can do with a bucket that's full of love. And whatever that is, each one of you guys have your own things. Maybe it's a back rub. Maybe it's taking her out to dinner. Maybe it's going for a walk. You know, whatever it is, you got to figure that out and do that regularly. Fill that love bucket up and keep it full. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. Love is crucial. Love is crucial. So all that to say, uh, you know, I've got stories about that. You know, here, here's, here's an assignment for you, okay? Here's an assignment for this week. I want you to read through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's often called the love chapter. And I want you to read that sometime this week, and, and I want you to read it. Um, and, you know, it says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not seek its own. There, you remember that, all those things? And I want you to read through it as it's read. Then here's what I want you to do. The next thing I want you to do is in context of your marriage, thinking about you as the husband loving your wife, I want you to put your name 
Every time the word says love or charity, if it's the King Jimmy, uh, wherever the word says charity or love, put your name in there. Brett suffereth long. Brett does not seek his own. Brett bears all things. Brett believes all things. Brett endures all things. Uh, wait, this is starting to sound kind of weird. How, I want you to see how your name fits with your marriage, with your wife in the love chapter. And then, and then thirdly, so the first one is to read it normally the way it is. Secondly, read it with your name in there and see how you fare. But thirdly, I want you to change the word love and put Jesus's name in there. And then I want you to think, how does Jesus, because Jesus fits. It's, it, you'll turn red when you read your name in there. You're like, mm, eh, ah. But when you read Jesus' name, you're like, check, check, check. Jesus did bear all things. Jesus did hope all things and believe all things. Jesus endured and suffered, and he fits. And, and that's what you are to be in your marriage. Just like Jesus loved us, that's how you are to love your wife. So that's your assignment. You read 1 Corinthians 13 in those three ways. Are you guys willing to do that? Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be men who just drop our agendas, drop our preconceived ideas and notions and things that we think are important. Somehow, Lord, I really do believe that when we stand before your throne, maybe even at that judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat judgment where our works are judged, Lord, I can't help but think one of the biggest things that are gonna be measured at that throne is how we handled our marriages. Not how we handled our jobs as much or hobbies or even our own ministries, things we think are so important. But your word is clear on this one that you give us this command as husbands to love our wives. And Lord, those of us that have been married for a lot of years, we've had little snapshots and glimpses of what it's supposed to look like, even in our own marriages. But, but we also know how we fall so short so many times. I pray that Athey Creek Christian Fellowship would be full of men who are strong men and are good at what they do occupationally and with hobbies and all that. All that's great, Lord. We, we're thankful for all the good things we get to do and enjoy. But how I pray, Lord, that we would be a group of men that love our wives, and that would be our main thing. Because we know it's such a great picture of how much you love us. I pray that the marriages in this room would sort of reflect to anyone in their neighborhood or at their workplace or people that they know or family members, I pray that their marriages would reflect the same kind of unconditional, sacrificial love that you've shown toward us. May that be shown in the marriages represented by these men. Lord, for the single brothers in this room, may they tuck all this away. Lord, develop in them even right now those characteristics of love and compassion, not just for their wife, but for women in general that we would treat women with great respect, that we would, like Peter says, that we deal with the woman with great honor. Lord, I pray you'd help us with this and, and that our wives would be just blessed hugely starting even today. Help us not to be stubborn, prideful, forgetful. Help us to really step it up on this one, Lord. Give us the strength, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.